Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. Episode 21, and it's day one from Radio Row. We've got a big show lined up today. Hall of Famer Dan Fouts will join us. Former offensive lineman Ross Tucker also joining the show. But we have to get started with the top news of the past 48 hours. The Los Angeles Rams have officially gone from fringe playoff team to Super Bowl contender. Late Saturday night, Matthew Stafford, who I was dying to get traded from the Lions to the Indianapolis Colts, goes to the Rams in a deal that will send Jared Goff two future first-round picks and this year's third-rounder from L.A. to Detroit. Look, I definitely didn't see the Rams on the shortlist of teams that would acquire Matt Stafford. I mean, you had the Colts, who to me were the ultimate favorites. Phillip Rivers retiring. You've already got a Super Bowl-ready offensive line, a Super Bowl-ready defense, two great running backs, some wide receiver options. I thought Matthew Stafford was the missing piece that put Indianapolis from a wild-card team to a Super Bowl contender. Instead, he'll do that for the Rams. But the craziest part about this trade is that Saturday afternoon, if you had asked the Lions who Matthew Stafford would be sent to, I don't think the Rams were even on the Lions' radar early Saturday. I think the Washington football team, from all reports I've heard, and the Carolina Panthers were the most likely landing spots for Stafford earlier in the day. You had the Panthers willing to offer the highest draft pick available, their eighth pick in the draft, plus a third rounder. The Washington football team willing to part ways with their first rounder as well, but not much else. With the deal with the Rams, the Lions get two future firsts, a third this year, and a quarterback who you can plug in right now in Jared Goff, and you know the Rams had it with Jared Goff. Look, anytime an organization comes out and says that there's going to be an open competition between their guy and a guy who has started one NFL game, you know that Goff's future in LA was done right then and there. I mean, John Wolford, the 25-year-old backup, had never thrown a touchdown in the National Football League and all of a sudden was going to be thrown into an open competition with a 26-year-old who had already been to a Super Bowl? Look, Sean McVay had it with Jared Goff. And understandably so. I mean, Goff's weaknesses were exposed all season in Los Angeles. They didn't have Todd Gurley. They didn't have much of a run game. You had flashes from Cam Akers as the season progressed. But without much of a run game and without the play-action option being effective in the offense, Jared Goff looks like a deer in the headlights out there. I mean, this is a guy who... When opposing defenses know he's going to drop back 40-plus, in some cases 50-plus times a game, he's very predictable and very easy to beat. I mean, the Rams didn't make it to the playoffs and win a playoff game because of their quarterback. They did that in spite of their quarterback because they had the best defense in football this year, bar none. And now you add Matthew Stafford, a seasoned, accomplished, future Hall of Fame quarterback, to the number one defense, to a team with plenty of receiving options, a team with a great O-line, a tremendous upgrade from the offensive line out in Detroit, and the Rams are now Super Bowl contenders. You know, Les Snead is one of the best general managers 
in the game today, right? He is absolutely brilliant. And when he said last week that Jared Goff was our guy right now, that was the absolute kiss of death. Anytime a coach, a general manager, an owner says someone is their guy right now, I mean, look, the Jets said Adam Gase was their guy right now back in October, and where's Adam Gase right now? If you hear the words right now, you know that a week down the line, a month down the line, you're probably not going to be the guy anymore. And that was the case with Jared Goff. He heads over to Detroit. He heads to an organization with no direction, no winning culture, no weapons around him. I mean, their best wide receiver, Kenny Galladay, a free agent. Marvin Jones talks about him possibly following Matt Stafford, going to L.A. And a rookie head coach in Dan Campbell, who spends more time talking about biting off kneecaps than he does figuring out how to win games in the NFL. Look, I... I don't know what Jared Goff has left in the tank. I know he's young. I know he's 26. I know this kid was the first pick in the draft a couple years ago. He has never been all that impressive. He had that one season where he took the Rams to the Super Bowl. Don't forget Todd Gurley was incredible that year. And when Todd Gurley got banged up late, got banged up in the postseason, what did Jared Goff and that Rams offense do? They scored three points in one of the most disappointing Super Bowls I've ever watched. I think Detroit's the perfect fit for Goff. It's a bad franchise, and frankly, it's a bad quarterback. But Matt Stafford out in Los Angeles, I think he is going to be a top six quarterback in the league next season. I mean, this is a guy who most years has turned in top ten performances on an awful franchise. Next year, you put him out there with weapons like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and an offensive genius of a coach in Sean McVay. I think the recipe for success is all but ready in Los Angeles for that team to go out there and in this two-year window because let's face it the window is short Matthew Stafford's aging and he's only got two years remaining on his contract this is a win now move for a team that doesn't have another first round draft pick until 2024 but I think they are all set to compete to win a Super Bowl within the next two years now let's look at the impact that this has on the rest of the pending quarterback carousel because Stafford was just the first of what could be a record setting number of dominoes to fall this offseason Deshaun Watson you'd have to imagine is next right I can't see any way that Deshaun Watson remains a member of the Houston Texans and a lot of people are saying that the New York Jets are the team the clear favorite they've got the draft capital coming from that Jamal Adams to Seattle trade they've got the young quarterback they can offer and Sam Darnold everyone is saying Deshaun Watson including Deshaun Watson himself should be a jet to me this is clear as day that the miami dolphins are by far the best fit for deshaun watson i mean we've seen deshaun on bad teams with no weapons and no defense we saw it this year he won four games what do the jets have no weapons and no defense and i know everyone's talking about robert salah and it was a great hire and they think he's a great coach and if you give him deshaun watson guess what the jets still don't have a defense and they still don't have a receiving core, and they still don't have an offensive line, bar Mackay Becton, and they still don't have a run game. I mean, the Jets are not going to overnight be able to compete with the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills just by acquiring Deshaun Watson. But if the Miami Dolphins acquire Deshaun Watson, and this is a move that I've been calling for for close to a year now, I thought Miami was better off last year when they had three first-round draft picks, trading two of them to Houston, a team that had no first-round draft picks, for Deshaun Watson. I thought that Miami would be way better off with Deshaun 
Then with Tua, Tua, of course, has injury concerns. I mean, there were games this year where he had to get pulled for Ryan Fitzpatrick, games where Tua clearly showed he just didn't have the arm strength compared to some of the other elite quarterbacks that he had been compared to coming out of college. Uh, I mean, is he accurate? Absolutely. But I'm not impressed with his deep ball. I'm not impressed with his arm strength. I think that Deshaun Watson is a proven product who you are in a way better position both to win now and long-term with than Tua Tagovailoa. So if I'm Miami right now, I'm calling up Houston. I'm offering Tua a first. If you have to go Tua and two firsts, it's worth it. This is a Miami team that if you give them Deshaun Watson and maybe one more piece to that receiving core, this team right now can win a Super Bowl. And for everyone who wants to see Deshaun with Robert Salah in New York, how about Brian Flores, right? The guy who's probably going to win Coach of the Year. We'll find out in about five days for the 2020 season, a guy who took all of that culture that people raved about from New England, implemented it in a more player-friendly fashion in Miami, and now all of a sudden the Miami Dolphins are more of a free agent hotspot than the New England Patriots, as evident by the fact that the Patriots are the one team out of the 31 others he told Detroit not to trade him to. So you got a great coach in Flores, you got a great complete team that's maybe one receiver short, if they add Deshaun Watson from winning a Super Bowl. Uh, to me, it's an absolute no-brainer. The next quarterback move that should be made, Deshaun Watson to the Miami Dolphins. But so far this week, the only move made, Matt Stafford to the Rams. And right now, if you're L.A., it's time to win that Super Bowl. We'll be right back on Serralo Sports Talk when we return. Former NFL offensive lineman Ross Tucker joins the show. Dan Fouts later on. Guys, stick with us. going to be a busy day one here from Radio Row. Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk and joining the show now, as promised, it's a man who spent seven years battling it out inside the trenches in the NFL. He's a tireless advocate for Monday Night Football to kick off at 7 p.m. Eastern time <laughs> and the host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Ross Tucker, thanks so much for joining the show, man. Yeah, my pleasure, Joe. Thanks for having me. And it's funny because you mentioned battling for seven years in the trenches. Well, that included a back surgery when I played for the Buffalo Bills. And I've been feeling that the last couple of days, bro. I've already had to shovel twice. I'm going to have to shovel again later today. And then tomorrow, I know I, mean, I got a couple more in me. Uh, I, I'm convinced the human back was not designed for all this shoveling, man. It was not, not designed to shovel. And I'm sure the people in Albany can appreciate that. Yeah, no, absolutely, Ross. You know, from Long Island, went to school upstate. Uh, it's it's well worth it. Even though most of Radio Row is being conducted virtually this week, it's well worth it to be down here in Florida for the week. I want to talk about your most recent podcast episode. It was a phenomenal show, had Adam Schefter on, and you guys talked a lot about the QB carousel. As a guy who spent a brief stint of time with the New England Patriots up in Foxborough, how much did it surprise you that they were reportedly the only team Matthew Stafford didn't want Detroit to trade him to? 
didn't surprise me that much. I think the the book, the word is kind of out about the Patriot way. You know, players talk. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if Matthew Stafford has had a conversation with Tom Brady. I'm sure he's had a conversation with Danny Amendola. And they know what the Patriot way is about. And by the way, how would be going to New England be much better than Detroit? I mean, Detroit has way better skill people than the Patriots do. Hawkinson, I know Galladay's a free agent, but, you know, Marvin Jones, you look at, and I know he's a free agent too, but you get my point. Like, I don't think he wants to go to New England where they've got essentially nobody. Uh, so it makes perfect sense to me that he wouldn't want to go there the Patriot way, the lack of talent and weapons around him. I'm not surprised at all. Now, you're a guy who, of course, spent some time with the Patriots, spent more time with one of their rivals, the team that is currently running the AFC East, the Buffalo Bills. How long do you expect the Bills to be atop this division now with what they have going on? And Sean McDermott, a great young coach, Josh Allen, an incredibly promising quarterback. Uh, What do you make of this Bills team? They get a chance to be very good for a long time. Uh, they've got a really nice young core of players. Uh, you know, I think the offensive line made some strides this year. But really, they, they have an MVP candidate quarterback in Josh Allen. And he made such significant leaps from year one to year two, and then again, year two to year three. I am fascinated to see if he'll be able to do the same from year three to year four. I don't know how much better he can get. But it stands the reason he still has some room for improvement. So I am really curious to see how much better he gets. But I think that this is the Bills division uh, probably for the next couple of years. And really the team that appears to be closest right now is probably the Miami Dolphins. I'm just not sure their quarterback will be able to beat Josh Allen in these head-to-head games. Yeah, and I completely agree with you. You know, I was saying it last year ahead of the draft that the Miami Dolphins with three first-round picks needed to consider trading a couple of them to Houston for Deshaun Watson. Do you think that they're a player for Watson now? I do. Yeah, I do. I know, I, I know they won't say that publicly, Yeah. but I think they realize – I think it's really hard to win without a quarterback that's top 10. You know, look at the guys that were in the conference championship games. The three leading vote-getters, we presume, for MVP and the greatest quarterback of all time. It's pretty good. It's pretty good foursome. So you got to look at Tua and say, okay, he could be good. Can he be a top-10 quarterback? I'm not sure I saw that. You know, you think about Herbert and Josh Allen and all these other guys and Mahomes and Sean Watson. It's tough to get in that top-10. And for Tunga Vailoa – Everything's going to, he's going to have to be like Drew Brees to be a top 10 quarterback. And that's asking a lot. Very hard to be Drew Brees. It definitely is. And Russ, I couldn't agree more. You know, there were parts of Tua's game. Look, the accuracy was undoubtedly there, but other parts, the arm strength, the deep ball. I got a lot of questions about his game. And, you know, in that draft class with Herbert, Joe Burrow, I just don't know if at the end of the day, we're going to be talking about him coming out of the 2020 draft. You know, these 2020 bills were, probably the most fun team in the NFL to watch. What was your Buffalo experience like? You're up there for two seasons. One of them was a pretty good team. One of the better teams in recent memory to not make the playoffs. Uh, What was your experience playing for them and with Bill's Mafia all about? Yeah, loved it. Loved it. My favorite team of the five I played for 
Loved every part of it. I think I started you know, eight, 18 games maybe over two years. Mm-hmm. We won more than we lost. We had that really good team in 2004. It was unfortunate. We got off to an 0-4 start in Mike Malarkey's first year. But uh, it was my favorite team. And I played for the Cowboys and the Patriots, some of these other teams. But ask my wife. She would tell you the same thing. We love the people. We love the atmosphere. Uh, it was a an absolutely awesome experience. It's a shame I had that back surgery and ended up getting hurt a couple of times in training camp and getting cut because I would have liked to have been there for years. And what is it that separates Bill's Mafia from the other fan bases? I mean, you know, the Dallas Cowboys, you played for them. They're America's team, fans all over the country. Same with the Patriots and especially the past two decades, their fan base travels well. What is it that separates Bill's Mafia? I think they have they, they attach more of their identity to mm-hmm. it than these other teams do. And I think it's because it's like all they have. I mean, I know yeah. that the Sabres are up there as well, but there's a lot going on in Dallas. There's a lot going on in New England and Boston. Yeah. And they got every sports team you want. They got college. They got everything. Buffalo, it's, it's pretty much the Bills. And so that's why there's that emotional attachment – it's not a very big city. I think, you know, they everybody that's from that region, that area, Rochester, to some extent Syracuse, right? I think they realize that that is the one thing that makes them relevant. It's the one thing that people talk about when they talk about the city. When you think Buffalo, you think the Bills. And so they very much attach their identity to that team. Yeah, no, I absolutely saw it firsthand. I just graduated St. Bonaventure University recently in that western part of New York. And uh, they say that all they have up there is Bill's football and Bonnie's basketball. That's the truth. The Russell, Bonnie? Yes, How about sir. That? Where exactly is that compared to Buffalo? I know it's Olean or whatever. Yeah, Olean. So it's an hour and a half south, uh, I believe southwest of Buffalo. So I made my way up to a couple Bill's games because, let's face it, there's not a whole lot to do in Olean. And uh, it's Bonnie's hoops, Bill's football. That's what they pride themselves on out there. It's been a while since the Bonnie's have been good, right? Made the tournament in 2018. Okay. I was covering the team as the beat writer back then. So got to travel with them, Dayton, Ohio, Dallas, Texas for their tournament games. And uh, they've got two games this week that if they win them both, we'll be ranked next Monday. Wow. So nice. I hope they they get it done for you, Joe. I appreciate it, man. The Bonnie's are making a comeback. Hey, I want to shift over to your media career because it seems like you might be working harder now as a member of the media than you did during your playing days. I mean, how do you keep up with it all? The writing, what do what you have, four or five podcasts, your game analysis? How do you balance that all in your schedule? Um, well, first of all, I definitely put more, more hours in now than I did as a player. There's no question about that. But honestly, man, I don't even look at it as work. You know, like, I mean, I, I get paid to talk about football I'm almost 42. I've never had a real job. I'm not planning on getting one. And I just realized how fortunate I am. Every time I'm about to complain about like the travel or I got to do another show. I just think about my eighth grade self and how my eighth grade self would punch me in the face. <laughs> if it heard me talk, complaining about getting to talk about football in some way, shape or form for a living. So whether it's, you know, the podcast, the Ross Tucker football podcast, or even money or fantasy feast, which I love or doing the games, which is amazing. I get up to upstate a lot. I guess West Point's probably not considered upstate or is West Point considered upstate? 
for me, being a Long Islander, it's considered upstate. If you say that to anyone from Rochester or Syracuse, they'll punch you in the face. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, see, I went up to West Point eight times this year. All eight Army home games I called, uh, which is such an awesome experience. I would encourage anybody in Albany to get to West Point for a game if you can. But I'm really lucky, man. Um, I, I'm able to balance it. My schedule, as you know, is very tight. Uh, but that, I, I try to hit, I try to go, uh, work hard, play hard, man. I work hard during the work hours. And then, um, you know, then later on, I'll hopefully go sledding with my daughters. Amazing. And I've seen your pictures on Twitter of a fridge full of beer. So I know that that's engulfed in that play hard as well. That there is no question. I, <laughs> I like, I call them daddy sodas. I like to have a daddy soda from time to time for sure. And you deserve it, man. Hey, Ross, Valentine's day is less than two weeks away. So I want to know the story behind my front page story and why exactly it's the best Valentine's Day gift ever. Yeah, so it's a buddy of mine um, from where I live now in central Pennsylvania who started it. Mm -hmm. It legitimately is the best Valentine's Day gift of all time. You talk to one of their writers for 10 minutes. They write the most unbelievable story about your wife or significant other or whatever. And then it's framed and looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. I mean, it legitimately looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. And the, the two cool things about Joe, number one, to be able to say to your wife or whoever, hey, babe, I want to do something special for you this year. So I had a story written about you. Like, that just sounds awesome. I had a story written about you. That's number one. And then number two, when she actually reads it and she sees the quotes about you saying, I never you know, tell her enough how much I appreciate everything she does for the family. Like she will cry. Your wife will cry. My front and you'll win. Myfrontpagestory.com. Myfrontpagestory.com. It sounds incredible, Ross. Look, before I let you go, you saw this Chiefs team up close. What they did to your bills was nothing short of a crime the other week. They're playing Tampa Bay in the Bucks home stadium. How do you see Super Bowl 55 unfolding this week? I like the Chiefs to win the game. Um, I think, look, if the teams play equally well, the Chiefs are the better team, right? Like, if the Chiefs play their A game and the Bucks play their A game, I think the Chiefs are better. Same with B game. The, the only scenario whereby the Bucks win, in my mind, is if they kind of play an A game and the Chiefs play a B game. I think the D-line matchup goes a long way towards that for the Bucks. With all the different musical chairs up front mm -hmm. for the Chiefs, the Bucks D-line must dominate. It's really their, their best chance, maybe their only chance to win the game. Well, I'm sure Kansas City would be open to having you come give them some help. No Mitchell Schwartz, no Eric Fisher. They could definitely use it up front. Ross, I really appreciate the time, man. I know you're a busy man. Thanks so much for joining the show. My pleasure, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back on Serralo Sports Talk. Hall of Famer Dan Fouts joins us next. So stick around. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Serralo Sports Talk with Joe Serralo.
We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk and joining the show, as promised, the man who the Pro Football Riders of America voted the NFL MVP in 1982. It's Chargers legend and Pro Football Hall of Famer, Dan Fouts. Dan, thanks so much for joining the show. Well, it's good to be with you on this uh, very exciting week of the Super Bowl. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. And Dan, we've got a lot to get to. Super Bowl 55. I want to talk about your incredible career. But I want to start with the biggest news in football of the past 48 hours, the trade that has sent Matthew Stafford to the Los Angeles Rams for Jared Goff and a handful of draft picks. What does Matthew Stafford do for the Rams moving forward the next couple of seasons? Well, I think the thing of Stafford is he's um, a veteran quarterback who's played through a lot of injuries, a lot of transition in Detroit, but he's very talented. He's got a great arm. Uh, he's a tough guy. And I think that the Rams, uh, they know how close they got. You know, they went to the Super Bowl, only scored three points in that game, which was a disappointment for them. Uh, and it seemed like the league had figured out how to defend their offense with Jared Goff. But the, the offense that Matthew Stafford will run with the Rams will be totally different because he is a classic drop back passer. He's got decent mobility, but he's got an arm that reaches all the fields. So uh, you'll see a... Uh, you know, especially to see what the Rams can do uh, in the offseason as far as acquiring a, a deep threat. Uh, they could use that, obviously, as all teams can. But uh, it'll be interesting to watch how Stafford, um, you know, gets used to the offense that Sean McVay will run. Now, how much, because we've seen a, a fairly reasonable decline in Jared Goff's play the past couple of seasons since making that Super Bowl appearance, how much do you think that has to do with Todd Gurley's injuries and then ultimately this year, you know, no longer being a part of the Rams. Was Jared Goff more reliant on having a run game there as an option than a guy like Matt Stafford is? Well, if you if you remember back to when Gurley was uh, tearing up the league, uh, the play-action passing game, the bootlegs, the rollouts, all those things that were so effective uh, for uh, Goff and the Rams' offense. Uh, but Gurley was just not the same player his last year in L.A., and that affected the offense, and that affected the effectiveness of uh, of Jared Goff, if you will. So uh, it's it's you know it's not often you get a top line running back like that. Uh, Gurley was re- largely responsible for the Rams making it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, absolutely. And if you look at the other franchise in LA, of course, Dan, your Chargers, Justin Herbert, your fellow Oregon Duck, what do you make of the rookie season that he just put together? Well, they're just not enough superlatives to describe it. Um, you know, he, he comes off the bench with 15 minutes of notice in his first game against the world champs and uh, played very well and continued to play well throughout the season. Um, I just think his uh, upside is huge. Uh, he's proven to his teammates that he can be there every Sunday. Uh, he's tough. He's big. He's strong. He's got all those physical things, but uh, you know, his intelligence and, his ability to learn uh, from his coaches. Uh, He'll have a challenge this year with a new coaching staff coming in, but I'm confident that uh, he'll be able to handle it because he handled his rookie season so spectacularly. And how much does he remind you, honestly, of yourself when you came into the league? I mean, you were one of the bigger quarterbacks in terms of stature, had a hell of a cannon of an arm. I mean, how much does Justin Herbert remind you of a young Dan Fouts? Not at all. (laughs) I, I wish I could say, oh, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a clone, but no, he's, he's really something. Uh, 
my rookie year was nothing to uh, to brag about. Neither was my second, third, or fourth year. So uh, the thing about uh, Justin is, uh, you know, I'm so proud of him because he is a duck playing for my old team, the Chargers. So uh, we'll just leave it at that as far as comparisons are concerned. Sounds good. Well, Dan, it might have taken you a few years to get there, but you did have an incredible career. And one thing that you and the Chargers did, you were one of the first teams in the league to sort of deviate away from that run-heavy, run-first offense into a pass-first offense. What enabled you guys to make that change? Don Coriel and his belief in the passing game and his creativity and then the talent that we had on our team. When you think about, uh, you know, a tight end like Winslow, wide receivers like Joyner, Jefferson, Chandler, running backs like Muncie and James Brooks and uh, Little Train James and Gary Anderson, it's just – a tremendous amount of talent and a real solid offensive line that uh, I played behind for, I think about six or seven years without any uh, deviation from that lineup. So uh, a tremendous, I don't know, you know, the term perfect storm is used a lot, but I was very fortunate to be in the middle of that storm. And you mentioned one of those weapons that you had being Kellen Winslow, one of the best receiving tight ends of all time, when you look at the tight ends of today's game, you know, last Super Bowl, we had George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. This time around, Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski. What do you think of what the tight end position has become in the NFL? Well, I, I think it's, uh, you know, the ultimate mismatch. Uh, when you've got players like you just mentioned, and what we did with Winslow is we found out that, you know, at 6'5", 250 pounds, he could run and run routes. Uh, from the flanker position or the split end position. Uh, but he was also smart enough to play uh, the down tight end or the move tight end. Uh, at times we, we put him at fullback and, and moved him out of the backfield from there. So it's versatility asking one player to fill more than one position. And that's what you're seeing uh, with the mismatches with, uh, you know, you mentioned two of the best Gronkowski and Kelsey, but when they're out there, uh, teams have to decide how do we stop this guy uh, because he's he's bigger than our defensive backs. He runs as fast as our defensive backs, and he's he, linebackers can't keep up with him. Uh, he's more powerful than than uh, anybody that they can put in front of him to stop him at the line of scrimmage. So it, it's the you know one of the most important positions on an offense when you've got a talent like that. The problem is there are not a lot of guys that are that talented like Kelsey and Gronkowski. Absolutely not. And we've seen, you know, the emergence of several tight ends, but the window seems to be short nowadays at that position. We'll circle back to Super Bowl 55 because Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski, great matchup there. Brady Mahomes, of course. We'll get back to that. But, Dan, there's one game I have to ask you about, and that's 1982, the divisional round, the epic in Miami. You guys jump out to that incredible first quarter lead, your defense gives a lot of it back up. You're tied heading into the fourth quarter. How did you rally your guys in 90-plus degree temperatures after the defense blows that lead to stay in it mentally and ultimately win it in overtime? Well, we were, you know, a confident group offensively, obviously, for, for many reasons. Uh, and and we'd been in a number of games like that where, you know, we'd have to win the game at the end, which is our job. Uh, and our job is to – move the ball down the field, every possession, whether it's the first quarter, fourth quarter, or overtime, and get points on the board. And so that, that's our mindset every time. And each time I would go into the huddle with my, with my guys, I would tell them what I thought it would take to get in the end zone. 
if we were 80 yards away, I'd say, okay, let's do it in 10 plays this time. Uh, if the time was running down, I'd, I'd tell them, hey, we got four plays, we got to get in the end zone. And so that gave them an idea of a mind, mindset, but also what their goal was. And so it just heightened the uh, effort by everybody in that huddle to get the job done in whatever time or yardage we needed. And obviously it worked out for you guys that week in Miami. Dan, I want to shift focus to your broadcasting career a bit, because obviously, you know, when you're in the league, you're not really thinking about what's next necessarily, but your dad being a Hall of Fame broadcaster, did you have an idea throughout your playing career that when it was time to hang up the cleats, you would shift to the booth? Well, I certainly uh, had it in the back of my mind, obviously, especially on third and long at times. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I had to get down the field to score. I'd look up in the booth and I'd see Dick Enberg and Merlin Olson, and and then look and say, "Well, that looks like a nice gig up there." Uh, you know, the I've been fortunate to have worked with uh, some of the best, and uh, my dad obviously a big influence. I used to keep stats for him at Kizar Stadium uh, when he was broadcasting the 49er game. So uh, I uh, was just hoping that his outstanding genes would rub off on me at some point, and. Uh, you know, luckily, I, I got a lot of good opportunities, work with a lot of great, great people. Yeah, you absolutely did. And Dan, I have to be completely honest with you. Watching you and Ian Eagle call a game together was one of my favorite ways to spend a Sunday afternoon. I know Ian pretty well, and he's incredible at what he does. The two of you were a great team. So what's next now that, you know, you left CBS prior to this season? What is next for Dan Fouts in terms of his professional career? Or are you done altogether? No, I'm not done altogether. In fact, I thought this was an audition with you. <laughs> hook up and, and get something going. But yeah, we're talking about Iron Eagle. I mean, 10 years together with the bird and uh, it still baffles me why we're not together. But, uh, you know, he was a tremendous partner, uh, tremendous friend and, and a guy I miss a lot uh, on and in and out of the broadcast booth. Yeah, he is an extraordinary person. You know, I had to, uh, I was lucky enough. I had him on my show back in June and uh, we did a Zoom interview much like this one. And I, I got to have a beer with the Birdman uh, over our 45 minute call together. It was a great time. Ian's awesome. Dan, circling back to Super Bowl 55, a couple of great quarterbacks. I know it's early in Mahomes' career, but I think we can say two quarterbacks that could likely be enshrined in Canton one day facing off. How do you see this game unfolding? Well, that's a. Uh... You know, you think about Brady and the way he operates, and then you think about uh, Mahomes, who uh, has a, a real flair for the uh, unexpected. Uh, I think it's going to be a uh, an offensive show because of the talents of, of both these quarterbacks. Um, you know, what do you say about Brady and what he can do for a team? Um, you know, he go into Green Bay last week and, and beat Aaron Rodgers and, and uh, the Green Bay Packers. And it just looked like a routine game for Tom Brady, didn't it? I mean, I know he threw three picks. Not all of them were his fault, as, as any quarterback will tell you. But, uh, you know, with Mahomes, you, you you see the unexpected. And with all that speed at uh, wide receiver and then Kelsey as the mismatch we talked about, uh, I don't see how this cannot be anything but a game that is very entertaining and uh, high scoring. Well, there you have it. As he's getting a phone call, the Hall of Famer, himself dan fouts dan thanks so much for joining the show all right thanks for having me on bud we'll be right back here with my final word on Sorallo sports talk
don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Serralo Sports Talk. It is time for my final word here on Serralo Sports Talk on this day one. Live from Radio Row, leading into the big game, Super Bowl 55 this weekend between the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Kansas City Chiefs. Incredible spots on today's show from Ross Tucker, Hall of Famer Dan Fouts, and I spent the large majority of my monologue today talking about Matt Stafford and Jared Goff, the quarterback swap between the Detroit Lions and the LA Rams. Talked about Deshaun Watson and why the Miami Dolphins are a much better fit for him than the New York Jets. But there's one other team, a team very close to the L.A. Rams, that I think needs to make a quarterback move to solidify their spot, not only as a potential repeat champion of the NFC, but also as anything but a last-place team in their division, the San Francisco 49ers, who went from representing the NFC in the Super Bowl a year ago to last place this season. They need to make a move at quarterback, and a big one. Jimmy Garoppolo is not the quarterback of the future in San Francisco. You're seeing a record number of QB swaps this offseason. There is a legit chance that opening week next year in September, you could have half the league with a different starting quarterback than this season. And the San Francisco 49ers, if they want to rise up from the cellar, rise up from last place in that NFC West, they need to be one of those teams because you're going to have the Rams now with Matt Stafford, the Seahawks with Russ Wilson. Those two teams will undoubtedly be the favorite to win that division if San Fran doesn't make a drastic move. You've got the Arizona Cardinals, who two-thirds of the way through the season were in a prime playoff position with Kyler Murray, one of the already most talented rising stars in the National Football League. They missed the playoffs by just a single game. The Cardinals are here to stay, and the San Francisco 49ers, they have to go get Aaron Rodgers, right? The San Francisco 49ers are in the perfect position, if they can get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo and his contract, to bring Aaron Rodgers home to Northern California and all of a sudden be, once again, the team to beat in that division. And I think you know, a team we talked about in the monologue who no one all of a sudden wants to go play for, the New England Patriots, I think they'd be the perfect team to dump off Jimmy Garoppolo and his salary too because of his history with that organization, because he thought he was for so long the heir apparent to Tom Brady in New England. Then he leaves for San Francisco. Brady shocks the world, leaves for Tampa Bay. He's playing in the Super Bowl this week. And all of a sudden, the New England Patriots are left without a quarterback. Cam Newton's a free agent. You can bet all the money in the world he won't be back under Bill Belichick. Jared Stidham, is he really the guy that's going to lead the Patriots back to the success that they've become so accustomed to in the past two decades? Absolutely not. So if you're San Francisco and you can get Jimmy Garoppolo and his absurd massive contract off to Foxborough, you need to find a way. Part with whatever draft picks. I know they've been reluctant in recent years to trade away out of the draft, unlike Les Snead and their rival, the L.A. Rams, who are going to be without a draft pick in the first round until 2024. You need to part with some draft picks, maybe a player or two, and go get Aaron Rodgers because the things that Aaron Rodgers could do with that San Francisco offense are absolutely limitless. You're talking about when healthy, one of the best offensive lines in the NFC, one of the most dynamic 
deep running games in all of football, and a receiving core that, yeah, on paper doesn't wow a lot of people, but I would take anyone in San Francisco's receiving core ahead of any Green Bay Packer receiver that's not named Devontae Adams. I mean, Aaron Rodgers doesn't need a Pro Bowl team like the one Tom Brady currently has around him in Tampa Bay. He needs one legitimate target, which you have in an all-time tight end named George Kittle, and then he needs a bunch of good wide receivers that he can rely on when he makes the play that they won't ruin it. And we saw it, you know, we saw it in that NFC Championship game against Tampa Bay, Equinemius St. Brown dropping that two-point conversion that hit him right on the chest plate. Rodgers made the play, and St. Brown ruined it for Rodgers and for Green Bay in that one. So if you get Aaron Rodgers on a competent team like San Francisco with a great coach in Kyle Shanahan, an above-average defense, good protection up front, that is a team that right now we're talking about the Rams competing with Seattle for that division, that team far and away becomes the favorite, not just in the NFC West, but in all likelihood, the NFC as a whole. And just like that, episode 21 of Serralo Sports Talk, but episode 1, live from Radio Row this week, is up, it's over, it's out of here. Special thanks to Ross Tucker, special thanks to the Hall of Famer Dan Fouts. Guys, I'll see you tomorrow. Hall of Famer Marshall Falk is going to be on the show tomorrow, so stick with me and I'll see you then. At night we ride the mansions of glory and suicide machines Sprung from cages on Highway 9 Chrome wheel human jacket and stepping out over the line Oh, baby, this town rips the bones from your back It's a death trap, it's a suicide rap We gotta get up while we're young Cause trans-
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.